0: Don't worry, I'm not going to start out right into it, but it is going to be a blunt message. So, when you look in society today, if you watch, how many of you watch television? The image of what it looks like to have a relationship has changed. The idea outside of television, so some of you didn't raise your hand, and that might be because I ask you guys to raise your hand a lot, and sometimes you go, he just means to raise our hand, and so if I just look at him like this, that means I'm raising my hand. (laughs) So maybe you don't watch television, some of you, but you don't have to watch television to see that the idea of relationship has changed. You can talk to your friends and how they approach things. You can read news articles and see how relationships are now defined. The element of lust has become sociably acceptable. It's no longer really taboo. It's not something that people go, "Oh, oh my gosh. It's actually something that in most of our relationships and friendships, we look at it and we just go, have you ever been there? Maybe it's more not just your friendships, it's your family. Maybe it's your sister that you grew up with. And she's making choices. And even though you, you righteous person, right, would never do that, you look at her and go, what happened here? But you look at all of the relationships around and you go, but it looks pretty normal. Premarital sex. Normal, abnormal. Just say it. Normal. Same-sex relationships. Normal, abnormal. Normal. When you look at society, just call it the way it is. I don't know if there's a show on TV right now that does not depict at least one same-sex relationship. TV usually is a reflection of our lives. It's not a foreteller. It actually is a little bit behind the times. Because when it actually comes on TV, that means it's become pretty normal, and consumable multiple partners normal abnormal are you guys uncomfortable yet (laughs) sexual encounters almost like a sexual adventure normal abnormal Some of you, the normal level has decreased. (laughs) Just, are my hearings going? I'm not sure. I think these things I've just talked about, they have been celebrated. It's not just normal. They've been encouraged. And as a society, we often embrace them, even though privately we may condemn them. But the thing is, is that God's Word, when you look at God's Word, when you look at God's story, he says there's a better way. And the funny thing is, is that even though we think somehow this society that we live in is way more corrupt than the 1950s, the thing about today, and I'm not a sociologist, but my observation is the thing about today is that it's just no longer as secretive. A lot more has been exposed. But the truth in that is that when it's no longer secretive and it's exposed, it becomes even more prevalent. See, there's a thing about fear. And when you have fear about doing something, that's when it's a, in secret you may, just by fear alone, not do it. When it becomes normalized and there's no longer fear connected to it, it just becomes a little more prevalent within our relationships of today. Being sexually active before marriage, living together outside of marriage, having sex, even before you're actually dating, normal. I read a recent study that that's actually how you decide if you should date. Uh, Honestly, Daniel, I kind of had the same reaction when I first read it. I was like, what? But that is what is normal. Why date someone if you don't physically connect, literally. That's how you figure out if you should date. And the thing is, guys, is that we sometimes, when we have these blunt talks, and I've only had them a few times, but when we have these blunt talks in here, we have a us and them attitude, but it's even prevalent in the church. So let's not fool ourselves that somehow we are more righteous than those that we've been talking about. Because the real thing is that we're tempted by the same stuff. We have abandoned God's ways. We don't like to say that because that Makes us sound like we're not in his family. But we often are the family member that says, I don't want that identity. I think I've found a better way. I mean, how am I going to know if I love her if I don't love her in the sack? How am I going to know if I want to be with them forever if it's not this awesome experience sexually? And we even get so far as that we call it love. How can you really love me if you haven't been with me? I wonder how many women and girls have heard that. And I won't say it's just women and girls. Because it also goes the opposite direction as well. It just seems that it's more prevalent with women and girls that men use that as a way to say, I love you, baby. <laughs> if you love me, you know. We've got some kids in here today, or young adults And if you don't think that they haven't heard that, then you're fooling yourself. I know my daughter is an eighth grader. (laughs) She is living a different eighth grade experience than my eighth grade experience. Her eighth grade experience has included a whole lot more information than I had. If you guys didn't know this, my parents didn't really talk to me about sex until, not till it was too late. They didn't talk to me about sex until when they decided to talk to me, I said, I know everything. <laughs> Close that door. I don't want to hear it. But that wasn't until I was like a freshman in high school, sophomore. I think I was going on my first date and the subject came up and I was like, Hold on. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. But we call it love because that's an easy way to justify it. It's an easy way to make it sound better. I'm not going against God's way because God's way is love. But the thing is, is that's a bunch of crap. And we know it. We know it. But we'll hold on to that. We'll let it squish through our fingers because we think it's a better way. We have abandoned God's ways because we think we might know more than Him. We will sell our bodies for security, self worth, and sensation like that. And Satan knows this. That's why he attacks with all of his might upon people's hearts to see if they could just for a moment push God off and place something else on that shelf. We don't call this prostitution, right? And you've had multiple partners. You don't call yourself a prostitute when you've decided to let the guy have it because you're scared for your own security, you don't call yourself a prostitute. You don't call yourself a whore. But Jesus said, even look upon a woman with lust. You've slept with her. So... Guys, um, we're whores. Women, you're whores. Because if you don't think that you haven't done that, you are full of sin. You're so full of sin, you can't see Jesus. It's kind of a fun message. So here, this is God's truth. Jesus, but Jesus died for a bunch of prostitutes and whores for us. When you start to claim that as yourself, this is who I am. I'm a prostitute. I prostitute my body whenever I feel insecure. I prostitute my body whenever I need a sensation. I prostitute my body whenever I think it might be better for me. I'll whore it up for the hope that I can feel happy. I know, see, this is the blunt part. This is why Sarah had that little message before. (laughs) But if we can't get this in our heads, how will it ever sink into our hearts? All of us know it. I mean, my daughter, she can tell me every time I tell her something, I know, Many of you, when I have a conversation, I hear, I know. But if you can't it from what you know into what you believe, that God has a better way, then you will not change your actions. Because it'll just be something that you can't attain. But Jesus died for all of us prostitutes and whores because... He actually knows what love is. We don't. We try to. We try to attain it, but he actually knows what love is. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. Love is not about What you can attain, love is about sacrifice. So let's look at those sexual relationships when a couple decides to have sex before marriage. Is it about what you can sacrifice or what you can get? There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. So why is it so hard for us to see God's ways better? I mean, I'm not sitting up here saying I've never had a lustful thought. I am not separate from you. I am a sinner just like you. So in those times, why is it so hard for me to go, oh yeah, this is stupid. God's way is better. In today's story, we're going to see the manifestation of three temptations, three avenues that Satan goes after us with lust. Let's listen to the story.
1: Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. When the Philistines sought out about this, a group of their leaders met with her. They said, Each of us will pay you 1,100 pieces of silver if you can find out the secret of his strength. Once we know that, we'll be able to kill him. So she asked Samson, how can someone tie you up in a way that makes you powerless? Oh, he said, I'll be like any other man if someone ties me up with seven brand new bowstrings. The Philistines gave her seven fresh bowstrings and hid some guards in her room. She tied up Samson with the bowstrings and then shouted, Samson, the Philistines are here. He jumped up and snapped the bowstrings as if they were pieces of yarn touched to a fire. Delilah said, you lied to me. Why would you make fun of me like this? Please tell me how you can be tied up. This happened two more times, once with a piece of rope and once with braiding Samson's hair. After this, Delilah said, how can you say you love me when you don't trust me? Three times now you've laughed at me by telling me a lie. Why can't you trust me with the secret of your strength? She kept us up day after day. She begged and nagged him until she wore him down. Finally, he told her the truth. He said, I'm what our people call a Nazarite. I've been one since birth. My hair has never been cut, and that's a secret of my strength. If someone shaves my head, I'll be like any other man. Delilah realized that he had finally told her the truth. She sent the Philistine rulers. Come, I finally got the truth out of him. Be sure to bring my money with you so they came with her money that night he fell asleep with his head on her lap a man came out of his hiding and cut off seven braids as he did samson's strength left him then she yelled samson the philistines are here he jumped up to defend himself but he didn't know the lord wasn't with him the philistines grabbed him and he couldn't break loose they held him down on the ground and poked his eyes out they took him to prison where they forced him to push a grain millstone while he was in prison, Samson's hair started to grow back. In time, the Philistines gathered to worship in the temple of their God. They ate and drank until they were drunk. Someone yelled, Go get Samson! That'll give us a good laugh. The place was packed as a boy led Samson into the temple. He said to the boy, Take me to the supporting pillars. Samson called out to God, O oh Lord God, give me strength just one more time allow me to pay back the philistines for taking my eyes i'll die with them he then grabbed the two supporting pillars and pushed them with all that he had they gave way and the temple fell on the philistines including all their leaders more people died in samson's death than he had killed in all his life he had been a judge of israel for 20 years
0: so in this story there are three main characters samson Delilah, and the Philistines. And we're going to look at exactly how does lust play a part in their own demise or destruction? How does lust pull them away from their mission and into a huge misvalue or mischaracterization of how life can be lived? The opening story, as we hear from Samson, he Meets Delilah, but even before that, let's figure out who Samson was. Samson was a named judge of Israel, ordained by God. Now, you got to hold on to that. So, when you read Samson's story, you go, There's something not right. So, he is supposed to protect and provide for Israel. Because Israel's in the midst of all these countries that want to destroy God's people. And the Philistines are one of them. And Samson, God chooses out of all these people. And he puts his power and provision and, must not give him a lot of wisdom, but wisdom on him. Right, So Samson is the man, the man of the hour of the day for over 20 years. He is the judge to protect God's people. Now he does this because he is probably the strongest man that the world will ever know. He's strong, he's fierce, he's a warrior. And when I was a little kid and I heard about Samson, I was like, I want to be like Samson. Now, if my mom knew the whole story, which she may have, she probably would have said, please don't. But I was like, yeah, I love Samson. He like wrestles a lion. He can tear things apart. Yeah. But the opening story of Samson starts out like this. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza And spent the night with a prostitute. That's probably the part that my mom was like, please don't. (laughs) Probably. See, Samson had an appetite. This is the pathway. You have an appetite. He had an appetite for sex. Now that doesn't mean that Samson was anything different than most of us in this room. He had an appetite for sex. Sexual encounters. Samson wanted to fulfill his sensation. And so what does he do but go to an enemy town and get the for sure thing? Now the story continues and it actually he destroys that town that would inflict damage upon Israel so what he intended for himself, God intended for good. Then he goes on and he meets Delilah. You know, his lust doesn't just stop, right? When he goes into that town in Gaza, it's supposed to be kind of secret, and that's the thing about lust, is that it can be secret. And many times it is very secret, but it doesn't have to be. Some turn toward, in their effort not to physically go against God's ways, they turn toward what? Yeah, I mean, you go, no, these answers. I don't, what do they turn to? What? What are you? Oh, you said the whole thing. I was just, I was listening for Porn pornography, because we got proper people in here. I forgot. I'm just a farm boy from Nebraska. We just call it porn. So, So some turn to porn, and what do they do secretly? They justify that because it's not the actual thing, it's not causing any damage. Because it's not affecting a real person, it's isolated to themselves. And it's just a little bit of lust. Others will turn to contain that lust in their mind. They'll have fantasies. They'll go through a whole bunch of things that are corrupt in here. And they'll say, well, at least I didn't do it. And they justify it by it's just a little bit of lust. Others will have emotional affairs. It's just a drink it's just a conversation it's just time with a friend but all in here they're thinking I wish it was more it's just a little bit of lust now whether Samson was fighting against his own appetite or not we don't know scripture doesn't really give a lot of details seems like if he was fighting against his appetite, he wasn't fighting really hard. He definitely wasn't fighting as hard as he did when he physically fought the Philistines because he won there. seems like maybe his weakness, his kryptonite, was that mentally he could not fight this battle against lust. And when he meets Delilah... Scripture says he falls in love with her. Now, see, this is the sad thing, is that he may have wanted to do this one right. Scripture doesn't put in words like love randomly. So he probably wanted to do this one right. He may not have known exactly how to go about it. He does what we see in our society today. He moves in with her. He sets up house, kind of pretends they're a family. What's interesting is that it never says that she loved him. In fact, the evidence would point that she detests him. Because Delilah had an appetite problem, too. Her appetite was for money. A lust for money. And as I read this, I was thought, it's kind of interesting. Here she is, a woman, unmarried, as far as we know. But she had her own house. Uncommon. But she had provision. And yet it wasn't enough. She saw something in Samson that she could get more. She could get just a little bit more of silver. And the thing about appetite is that when we go after it, when we go after our lust and we think we can fill it, we never do. That little bit of porn turns into a lot of porn. Those mental fantasies turn into a lot of fantasies and usually turn into something that's real. That drink after work turns into heading to her house later. Appetite doesn't stop. Isaiah the prophet had great words on this. Like greedy dogs, you know that we have a dog, her name is Daisy, she's a sweet thing, she tries to steal food everywhere. <laughs> I don't believe this whole thing, that dogs don't remember things five seconds afterwards because she can make her way all around the house, and I feel like one eyeball is still <laughs> looking and ears turn, waiting for us to be distracted. She, had, she stole a croissant this morning. <laughs> she, had, she was all over just the quick little grab Like greedy dogs. (laughs) Or say Daisy. They are never satisfied. They are ignorant shepherds. All following their own path. I hope these words are hitting your heart. An intent of personal gain. Come, they say, let's go home. Some wine and have a party. Let's all get drunk. Then tomorrow we'll do it again. And have an even bigger party. The deception is that this is going to be fun, but if you've ever seen someone on a drunken rage for days upon days upon days, it isn't so much fun. We can never find enough, steal enough, manipulate enough to feel, to fill our appetite. Trusting in God and in His ways is the only way our appetite is filled because He gives us things that are much better than the things that we pursue. Trusting in His ways, trusting that He actually knows better, is the only way it'll be filled. Appetite just leads us to do stupid things. Amen? I mean, it just does. For daisy, she knows she's going to go to her kennel. She has, and she does that. So what does she do? She steals it, puts her head down, and starts walking towards her kennel. (laughs) Isn't that what we do? Like greedy dogs. How do guys get sex? You guys all know that? How do guys get sex? I'm not asking for point... To point. If you watch, you watch Animal Kingdom or any kind of shows, right? So, if it's a bird, they strut around, right? To do what? Draw attention. draw attention to themselves. They have the most beautiful thing, right? So, you draw attention, and then when the woman, the female, sees the best male. Guess who gets to have sex? For Samson, we see that his sex was so strong, his desire to do that was so upon him. But for and with Delilah, when he lost her approval, it broke his heart. So, yes, he had a foundational problem of appetite. But the way Delilah brought about his de- demise, his destruction, was through the temptation of approval. See, through the story, she wants to figure out a strength, all for her own appetite, for her lust of money. So she tries to find ways to take away his strength. That's the way the Philistines will win. And she is a Philistine, remember. So she goes through different ways and he lies to her over and over again, which, you know, he loves her, but he probably hasn't learned what it means to love and trust. But he's also been told that this is from God. And if anyone does this, it will be taken from you. He knows this as well. He knows this is really something between him and God that he should not share. But then she says this, actually does this, then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Now this is my guess and only guess because I cannot totally know exactly what was happening in this house, which is, I mean, this is the worst thing for the pastor because I don't know what's happening in all the houses. I can only take a guess. But I'm guessing with this response that when he lost her approval, he was no longer the man for her. He probably wasn't getting any. That ship had sailed and he was, remember what his base appetite is, is sex. So now he's lost the approval, now he has no sex. I might as well tell her. And then everything goes back to normal. It's a nasty connection, isn't it? Because Satan doesn't just hit you with appetite. Oh, well, no, he'll come around and hit you with approval. He'll connect those things until you fail. Now, my observation for Samson is that he really did care for her. Because the thing about it is his appetite was sex. But remember, at the beginning of the story, it wasn't a town too far away that he could just hook up with a prostitute. So something was drawing him to stay with Delilah. It went beyond sex. That's why that culprit of approval came in. He didn't want to lose her. He could get sex probably anywhere, but like I said before, I think he wanted to do this one right. He wanted to actually have a home and a family. He didn't know the exact way to do it, but he was giving it his best shot. The problem with living for approval of people is that you can never do enough for people. And someone will always get mad. For some of you, approval is a key, key temptation. And I bet you can sympathize and empathize with Samson right here. When approval is your key temptation, you try to do enough. You try to please You try to make everything right. And you, even though you know you can never do enough, you know it because you'd say, oh, I know. You don't believe it. So you keep doing more. Hoping that if you do this one more thing, they'll change. I can kind of sympathize and empathize with Samson here if I tell her Maybe she'll love me. When you become enslaved to trying to please someone, you're no longer making God your number one. You displace Him and you put that person there. And you forget how God thinks about you. Back in my day, Back in my day, it's been a while, right? Although I'm still around, so it is my day right now. (laughs) But back when I was younger, like when I was entering high school, 14, those years 14 to 18, the way my male peers would get approval was how many sexual exploits have you had? The more women you conquered, the more the man you were. Now, I lived in a different reality because I had fear. I had fear that if I did those things, God would not approve of me. It's kind of messed up in my head that my actions somehow dictated how God felt about me. And I also had fear of my parents. I had fear that, man, if I got someone pregnant, oh, ha, if you get kicked out of your house in Ainsworth, Nebraska, there's not a lot of homes to go to. <laughs> I'd be living with the cows. I mean, and I, that wasn't my real fear. But there was this fear of where do you go? If your family rejects you, I had fear that if I messed up, I would be rejected out of my family, too. Now, that's not on my mom and dad. That's just, that's what I brought in. That was my perception. I own that. I also own that the guys that are telling me that they're doing this, this, and this, they're probably doing half of that but I believed it and I knew that there's something wrong with me because I had chosen a different path. And it was the worst four years of my life. It's one of the reasons why I don't want to go back to Ainsworth is because I was ridiculed for four years. Every day called the name it still sticks with me today because when I hear some of those names that those peers that were supposed to accept you and love you called me, it can put me into a tailspin again that somehow I'm not enough. So even though I didn't do this, I was still seeking approval And the only reason why I didn't do it is because of fear. Faith hadn't totally captured my heart that my God approves of me, not by my actions, but by the action of Jesus. I didn't think the action of Jesus was enough. I would have to supplement it by being a good boy. and By being a good boy it meant I was a faggot, I was a wimp, a fairy, go down the list. When I returned to Ainsworth, which I had to because my parents lived there, I didn't necessarily want to go see people. And that still sticks in my head sometimes that people think I'm not enough. But for many of my female friends, their approval was different. Their approval was based on their boyfriend who said, if you don't, I'm gonna leave you. And though they wanted to love Jesus and follow his ways, they would compromise. And sure, 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 they thought everything would be right, but it never was. Now, a few times it is. I mean, that's a shotgun approach, right? There are relationships that start completely wrong, but God makes completely right. But for the norm, when they start completely wrong, there are problems that continue. God's way is different. God's way is not about fear. It's not about counting how many things you do right. God's way is an invitation to do it differently, not out of fear, but out of faith. Faith that his provision is enough. Now, I eventually got there that this idea of waiting till you're married, I eventually got that it wasn't about fear. Because the thing about fear is it's only going to hold you from your temptations long enough until the temptation gets too great. But I eventually got to move the fear out of that temptation into, I think God wants something better. And people can call me whatever the hell they want. But I think God wants something better. And I'm going to wait. And then when I my friends changed, when I got out of place of high school. I mean, some people have wonderful memories of high school. For me, it's like a little taste of hell. Then I got out, and all of a sudden I had friends who were choosing the same pathway as me, which I feel is God's breath of grace upon my life, that I was not some weirdo, but in fact, there were other guys who I respected, who are choosing the same pathway to honor the people that you date. God's way is way more awesome. And as we draw close to Jesus, we begin to love like Jesus. It produces a love that is not about what I gain, but what I can give. It's not about how this is going to be better for me, but how it will become better for us. How I can sacrifice instead of take. And Paul knew this well when he wrote to the Galatian church. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. It is impossible to serve Jesus when you're trying to serve everyone else first. God wants you to serve others, but he wants you to start with him. So in your relationships, when you are trying to only serve your girlfriend and only serve your boyfriend, you're missing out on the key component, which is serving God. And what's awesome is that when you serve God and you follow Jesus and you do these things, not out of fear, but out of faith, the other person will be attracted to you. If they believe too that God is who they serve. Now that's where faith comes in, because we don't believe it. I know you don't believe it. You say you know it, but you don't believe it. But when you put God first, the right person will be there. I don't believe that God has ordained someone for your life. But I definitely believe that he calls all people to serve him first. And as people come together and recognize him first, there is a blessing in that covenant. And that doesn't mean it happens every day. That's, we have Jesus to forgive us when we fail. But it does take out approval and appetite when you begin trusting God. Now we've talked about both appetite and approval. Everybody got appetite and approval? There's only one left, and that's ambition. And ambition is connected to the Philistines. See, the Philistines were scared of Samson, The Philistines were scared of losing power. The Philistines were scared. And so what they turned to was ambition. And their ambition was that they would coax Delilah to prostitute herself. See, you see nowhere in the scripture of a quote like, you don't need to do this we'll find a way to defeat Samson without you compromising your honor. They don't say that to her. No, they go, oh, go ahead, we'll pay you. We'll pay you for our own ambition. We'll use lust for our own advantage. So how how do we see that today? Do any of you know someone who's slept with their boss so that they could get a promotion Or advantage. How many of you have encountered someone who was economically disadvantaged and they decided to covenant with someone that would improve that situation? They don't love them necessarily but it would make their situation better. Well, they're like Delilah. The idea in this is that in ambition, if I don't do it, no one will do it. If I don't make it happen, no one will make it happen. And again, it's the same thing with appetite and approval. We take God out of the equation and we say, I have to do it. So I use my ambition to move further. further. The thing about God is he wants you to be ambitious, ambitious about doing his things with him. Bill Wilson has a quote, true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God of God the Philistines were not God's people don't get them confused with the Pharisees the Philistines were another nation trying to destroy God's nation but the thing about this is that they had the same invitation acknowledge Yahweh as your God and you will be my people But they didn't trust that. And so they took their ambition, devised their own plan in their own way for their own security. Paul warned the Corinthian church by saying, you say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Today, sex is talked about as an independent exercise that doesn't affect anybody else. The thing is, is that it affects everybody. It's not just between two people. It encounters everyone that's around them. So, when we enter into it, that's why God wants us to have a covenant with one another. A promise that He's included in on to remind one another that we're here to not take but to serve. And when we go outside of that, it doesn't mean that God has left us. I mean, that's true in the story of Samson. He didn't leave Samson, He didn't remove Samson from being a judge. Samson had a little time where he wasn't doing much but sitting in a prison. But God hadn't forgotten him. So, remember I said, you're a prostitute and you're a whore. That means some of you right now in your mind are going, I've really messed up. But God's words to you are, I have not left you but I want something better for you. So today, go my way. Choose my ways and not your own. It's not because you choose those ways that God goes, oh, now I approve of you. Because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he already said I approve of you. He's just trying to invite you to the party that we think we can make a better party. So we do our own thing instead of going to his party. And he has the best stuff. We don't have great stuff, but we think it will be better. But he has really great stuff. And that invitation is for you every day. That's what he wants for you. He doesn't want you to go, oh, shoot. I just messed up. I looked at that woman too long. I'm now outside the grace of God. He wants you to go, wait a minute. What, he, what you have for me, God, is much better than what I'm trying to seek after. Help me to seek after you. Our relationship with others in the Lord is damaged when a little bit of lust becomes normalized and it becomes justified so quickly. So quickly. And we do stupid things. So the first weapon that we use is the forgiveness of Jesus. I hope you guys hear this because we are all dealing with this. His forgiveness is enough. Whose forgiveness? You don't have to do something to make it all right. His forgiveness is enough. We are made righteous because he defeated sin, death, and the devil, not because we did. The second weapon that we use is the Holy Spirit who's promised to be in us. He's that small voice that says, that's really stupid. He's that voice that says, you can do better. He's that small voice that says, don't do that. He's that small voice that goes, you should go home. He's a small voice that goes, don't go to that party. He's a small voice that says, you're enough. He's a small voice that says, don't listen. He's a small voice that says, you're worth more than that. It's a huge voice. We like to ignore it because again, even though we're invited to the best party, we try to make our own party, and our party looks like crap, but we think it's great until we actually look around at the reality and go, well, this is like crap. Great story about the prodigal son, which is literally that. Until he is in the midst of pig crap, he doesn't realize That he's been invited to the best party. But that's where we end up. The third weapon is our good, good Father. So the first is Jesus, the second is the Spirit, and the third is our Father. He always loves us. So when Satan is whispering, You've done all these things, you're not worth it. Why are you trying? When Satan whispers to you, (laughs) it's just sex. The father says, I love you. You represent me. You are a part of my family. And his arms are always open wide to you. He doesn't want you coming to his house fearing him. That some punishment's gonna come upon you. He is hoping, just like the prodigal son's father, that you would just show up. That you just come to the party. That you would just be with him. Because he really loves you. And I think this weapon of the good, good father is so awesome when we confuse sex with love because we try to find love in sex but we rarely do but the father says be with me and you'll experience love because i'm the one who gave my son so i could be with you because god fights for us these words of paul can be directed to our sexual lives our little bit of lust Before you jump into the idea that it may just be better, and young adults. I'm looking for your faces to make sure I get every young adult that's in here. Most of you are right here. So you know I've been talking to you the whole time. (laughs) And the reason why I'm talking to you guys specifically, this is a little... We don't have Holy Communion this morning, so I get to talk a little bit longer. So this is a little add-in. I love you guys. And you you can make choices today that will either make you live in shame or the temptation to live in shame for a long time, or you can choose God's ways. And then the whole church gets to celebrate that you live in his ways. The whole church gets to celebrate in the good party, not in the crappy one, with you. Now, we'll get to do that even if you make the wrong choice. But there's something special about a testimony of living in God's ways. Now, for all of you, I love you. I know that you guys think that I don't always. I know that you think I'm cold and harsh sometimes. I know that you think I may be too blunt. I never think I am. (laughs) God has something better for you. He has something better for you than looking at a screen. He has something better for you than imagining something different than the one that you have been covenanted to. He has something better for you than giving up your body to someone that you haven't made a promise to. He has something better for you today. Sex is not the culprit. We are. And Jesus loves us enough to say, I love you as prostitutes and whores because I know as you draw close to me you'll become beautiful and you will see it not just me see that's the thing about sanctification it's not about us doing better things it's about us being able to look in the mirror and start to see what God sees Justification, boom, you're, everyone, believes, everyone believes you're saved through the work of Jesus, done, that work is done. Sanctification, it's not so that we become better people. It's because our reflection is so marred that when we start drawing close to Jesus, he starts clearing that mirror. So when we look in that mirror, we don't see crap. We see what God created. We see that we're worth it. Not because we did a bunch of good things. In fact, it doesn't even involve things. All of a sudden, you're doing things just because you're close to Jesus and you're following his ways. Paul says to the Philippian church don't be selfish. Great thing for sex. These are just wise words. Don't be selfish in sex. This is good for married couples. This is good for, this is just a little sexual lesson right now. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. See, another great lesson in sex. Guess what? There is one pastor, Pastor Wagner, he said this publicly so I'm not talking behind his back. He said that, he's like, I don't know, 80 that sex has never been better. So if you think you're impressive now, why are you trying to do it? I mean, you will become way more impressive. I guess. Amen. Amen. Be humble. Thinking of others better than yourselves. (laughs) Don't look out for only your own interests. But take an interest in others too. Now, obviously, Paul wasn't writing this about sex. But sex is such a huge part of our lives. If we can't take these words about relationships into the context of sex then I think we're missing a point. Samson and Delilah, appetite, approval, ambition. Don't fight lust by fighting lust itself. Look at the core temptation behind it. Perhaps it's appetite and realize it'll never be filled by you seeking after the things that you know are not of God. Perhaps it's approval. Know that it will never, you will never, ever, ever do enough for that guy. You can do everything he wants, and if you're seeking his approval, or if you're seeking her approval, you will never do enough. But God has already approved of you. So rest in that relationship. If it's ambition, pull back and go, what am I trying to get that God hasn't already given me? And why do I need this now instead of when he wants to give it? I pray that this has been a good, blunt message for you to receive. I pray that it does not stop here, but it heads down to your heart. And that it's a message that you can speak to those around you. Because remember, this isn't about them or us. It's about God's world and his people. And he, that party is not just for us. That party is for everyone. And when people start to see that God has a much bigger plan for you than for you to do your own thing, man, you get a taste of the big party it's a good place of peace and hope and joy and love. Love that you will never, ever experience when you go outside of God's plan. And I can say that with a guarantee. When you go outside of God's plan seeking love, you will never find it. You'll never find it. I don't care who says they found love. When God is love, if God's not there, there is no love. There may be affection, there may be attraction, but there is no love. You can tweet that and people can be mad at me, I don't care. Approval isn't my biggest thing, although sometimes it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I pray that as we think about Samson and Delilah that we don't just think about those attributes of Samson that make little boys excited that he was so strong and great warrior and someone they want to be but they think about what Samson could have been if he followed the ways of the Lord. Lord, so many times we miss those opportunities because we think we know a better way. And in this season of Lent, we repent. As a body, we repent that we have abandoned your ways. That we even see some things as normal when clearly in Scripture, they are not. Lord, help us to see that your ways are better, that you are better, And that life without you really isn't life. And for those of us who are struggling to believe that you care that much about us or that you even exist, make your presence known. Pour your Holy Spirit upon this place. And may we leave here not with a sense of doubt or shame, but of joy and faith.